a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. the Video Nasties podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. Today I want to talk to you about Death Trap. Now in an alternative universe, Death Trap, better known as Eaten Alive, would be seen as a classic of the genre. A bizarre riff on the template set up by Hitchcock Psycho. Part slasher, part homage to EC Comics, and with a splattering of a dreamlike, uh, nightmarish quality of some of Toby Hooper's uh, Italian giallo contemporaries. But it isn't. Eaten Alive is one of those strange, slightly forgotten horror films eclipsed by Hooper's debut, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is follow-up film, known under various titles, including in the UK, Death Trap, but also known as um, Brutes and Savages, Legends of the Bayou, Murder on the Bayou, Starlight Slaughter Motel, Slaughter Motel, Horror Hotel, Horror Hotel Massacre, and Amok, is um, an American horror film directed by Toby Hooper and released in May 1977. It was written by Kim Hankel, Alvin L. Fast, and Marty Rushton, and was produced by Fast, Larry Hooley, Robert Cantor, and Marty Mohammed and Samir Rustam. The movie is uh, stars a wonderful Neville Brand. Uh, has Robert England saying probably the best known line in the film. Uh, Marilyn Burns, who was obviously in Texas Chainsaw, and Carl Richards. If you were one of the millions of moviegoers who were electrified by the unbearable suspense and sheer terror of Jaws, get ready for Eaten Alive. by Toby Hooper, maker of the screen sensation, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Marty Rushton presents a new horror classic, Eaten Alive. Into this house of terror comes a handful of unsuspecting innocents. Hello? What happens to these people in Eaten Alive will give you the most chilling, terrifying 90 minutes you ever spent in a theater.
Rustam presents Eden Alive, Mel Ferrer, Carolyn Jones, Stuart Whitman, Neville Brand. Get ready for Eden Alive, the new horror classic. The story tells us, uh, the film tells the story of Judd. He runs a hotel called the Starlight Hotel, which is out in some sort of swampy area. And he's lost his mind. And he has a crocodile, which he has placed on, in the uh, hotel's front porch railings, as you do. And this crocodile is massive and will just about eat anything. Guests arrive and are basically devoured by this monster. And uh, a reformed hooker, there's uh, a family who stop by, a uh, father and sister of this uh, prostitute who, who, uh, who, who arrive. And they all suffer various uh, amounts of violence and end up being making that crocodile quite so large. Oh, oh. Oh, no, man. Pay in the morning. Oh. Oh. You've seen it, huh? I ain't no, uh, no ordinary gator. That's a crock. Gator's a, uh, they can't move fast unless they're in the water. Oh, old crock now, not the same. Out run a horse. Oh, oh, upstairs, man. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, got out of there one day and chased down a, down a nigger view. <laughs> Tore half a two for it, for it hit the ground. Front part still screaming. <laughs> Head and legs for 50 yards. <laughs> oh, that old rock face. No species, not at all. Eat anything, anything at all. You want to miss out these girls? Come a little off Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hooper changed direction with his style. Though it's still horror, gone was this grim, gritty reality of that movie, and the focus shifted to monsters, really, in a, in a garish technical ascent. It's something he perfected in Funhouse, which we'll have the privilege of talking about in a, in a while. But um, as it's another film on the list. Um, now, despite Texas Chainsaw Massacre's popularity, it took three years for this to be made and come out. Hooper always struggled to find a voice after particularly Texas Chainsaw, preferring to go for bizarre pieces, such as the Space Vampires of Life Force or the Killer Washing Machine of the Mangler. I think sometimes people forget, particularly with Texas Chainsaw, more because it, it completely eclipses the uh, his other output. Really, that uh, after that he kind of very much became a very different kind of director. Although he always saw Texas Chainsaw as a bit of a comedy, um, that kind of thick vein of humor and absurdity in the violence really gets ramped up in in pretty much everything since. Um, the only film I think of really that isn't quite so mad is, you know, I mean, being poltergeist is that unbelievable fourth act. Um, would probably be his remake of the Toolbox Murders. 
who was born in Austin, Texas, and was son of a Lois and a Norman. He, they owned a theater in San Angelo, and he became interested in filmmaking when he used his father's 8mm camera at the age of nine. He took film, uh, radio foot television film classes at the University of Texas at Austin and studied drama in Dallas. He spent the 1960s as a college professor and a documentary film cameraman. His short film, The Heisters, was invited to be entered as a short subject category for an Oscar, but was not finished in time for the completion that year. Um, after making Texas Chainsaw with his friends in that kind of gritty, grim way, and you know, very, a lot of that film was very southern fried, he kind of then continued to make movies, some successfully and unsuccessfully. Uh, I think a lot of people pinpoint his work at Canon making very expensive movies that didn't do very well, such as Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is, you know, loved by many now and seen as a cult classic, but at the time surprised people with the with the way it was made and how it looked. Uh, and Life Force, again, a very, a very expensive and now cult film, but also, you know, a film that struggled to find an audience initially. He made films then like Spontaneous Combustion and whatnot, but, you know, Poltergeist was probably his most successful film after Texas Chainsaw, and obviously that's dogged with stories of Spielberg being on set. This film, Death Trap, marked his reunion with uh, producer-writer Kim Henkel. Now, Henkel uh, was a screenwriter, director, and producer, born in Virginia, and grew up in uh, small towns in South Texas. He became friends with Tobe Hooper at uh, university, and acted in Hooper's first film, Eggshells, from 1969, which is an art house film. Henkel and Hooper co-wrote Texas Chainsaw screenplay, and Henkel also wrote and directed a sequel to Texas Massacre, the Next Generation one. That's the one featuring, if you don't know, um, oh, Matthew McConaughey. That's his name. <laughs> and it's a little strange. Again, kind of people like always. I think with those films, always imagine the sequels to be these crazy, you know, to be like really grim, gory slashes, uh, you know. And obviously, the the original remakes, the original sequels, I should say, rather than the remake, are all um, kind of rather OTT uh, funhouse kind of movies, really. He also wrote and co-produced uh, last uh, last night at the Alamo. And uh, as well as working on this adaptation in '77, he's worked in horror relatively recently. Um, Penning um, Butcher Boys from 2011. So uh, I suppose really you've got to talk about the uh, the wonderful and rather incredible performance that's at the heart of Eating Alive. Really, um, you've got um, you know you've got Marilyn Burns. Giving it some, I think it's fair to say. Giving the classic screaming in the uh, on tied to the bed, and you know, very much resurrecting a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre performance. It's just, you know, so that God love it for that. Um, but really, I mean, people remember Neville Brand as Judd, the uh, the crazed uh, man at the centre of this film. Now, Brand started his, his uh, screen career in Desert DOA as a henchman. And he uh, killed uh, Elvis Presley's character in Love Me Tender, which kind of made his name as it were, became, kind of came notorious as the man that killed Elvis. He played Butch Cassidy in the film Free Outlaws, and that was the first person ever to play that, that role. It was rare for him to play those kind of roles, though, because he really was seen as, you know, playing kind of a, 
a bad man and a murderous kind of bloke. Although he what did play romantic lead in the movie Return of the Sea as well. I think this is not true in the UK, but in the US he's probably known for playing uh, Al Capone and The Untouchables the best. Uh, I don't really think that has quite the same. That show I know is massive. Was was massive. <laughs> so I guess it's a lot. Was massive in the US. It didn't. I don't think it had this quite the same sway over here in the UK though. And um, he also is probably known as, as co-starring with George Tacky in The Encounter, uh, which is uh, an episode of the uh, the Twilight Zone. Um, Brands, who was a genuine veteran of the Second World War. Uh, portrays a, a phony war hero and a, a coward who tames his prize trophy, a Japanese uh, soldier's sword, by murdering an officer after he'd surrendered. Uh, interesting enough, Brand um, was uh, out of, well, he's a collector of books. He'd collected 30,000 books, but sadly they were destroying, destroyed in a fire in his Malibu home. And Brand died of emphysema in uh, 1992 in Sacramento. And of course, um, you know, it's a Toby Hooper film, so there has to be some problem on set. According to makeup artist um, Craig Reardon, cinematographer Robert Camasio directed several of the scenes. Now, this was due to creativity between Toby Hooper and the vast n- number of, um, of, of, of the, the producers there as well. Robert Camasio is probably better known for his TV work, though, working on things like Dallas and the Waltons and Harry and the Hendersons, rather than his uh, cinematic works. The story, allegedly, much in the same way I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is allegedly based on the story of Ed Gein, is uh, based on the story of Joe Ball, also known as the Bluebeard from South Texas, or the Alligator Man. Uh, he was from uh, Elmdorf, Texas, and he, after Prohibition ended, he owned a bar with an alligator picked, serving as an entertainment attraction. Uh, there were murders of women, but it's never proven that the flesh found in the pit was human. However, Joe did commit suicide upon the possibility that he was going to be captured. So yeah, so basically this story about Joe Ball is he was he used to serve on the front line. He first served on Europe during World War One, and after that became a, boot, a bootlegger providing illegal liquor. Um, after the end of Prohibition, he opened this salon called Sociable in in Dorf, Texas, and built this pond that contained five alligators. Apparently, the story is that he misunderstood the term corpus delicti, believing that a murder conviction without a body could be impossible. He charged people to view them, especially during feeding time. Allegedly, the food consisted mostly of live cats and dogs. Now, after a while, women in the area reported missing, including barmaids, former girlfriends, and then his wife. When two Bexar County Sheriff's deputies went to question him in 1938, Ball pulled a handgun from his cadrester and killed himself, with a bullet through the heart. Although some reports say he shot himself in the head. Now, handyman who conspired with Ball, a guy called Clifford Wheeler, admitted to helping Ball dispose of bodies of two of the women he killed. Wheeler led them to the remains of Hazel Brown and Minnie Gotthard. Now, Wheeler told authorities that Ball murdered at least 20 other women, but the alligators had disposed of any evidence. There's never been any concrete evidence, though, that the alligators actually ate any of his victims. Now, there are 
there are only a few written sources which actually verify Ball's crimes. So therefore, it's difficult to get to specifics about what happened. And obviously, because he killed himself, age 42, when approached by police, that we never really know. And I think that's where these, this reputation of the Butcher of Elmdorf came from. Lord, child, you sure got yourself in a heap of trouble. Miss Hattie done chased you out. You barely been here. And that buck, he done made me mad. Funny business, smart Ellie, sassy mouth. Where you gonna go now, child? I don't know, but I'll be all right. Got any money? Oh, I'll be all right, baby. You take this. Oh, no. No, I can't, Ruby. I can't take it. You take this. There's a place right down the road, a piece. I think it's called the Starlight. But just don't go down there and tell them that you're from Miss Hattie's. Now, you take this. Um, Eaten Alive, I think it's fair to say, is loved by some, but not by many. Um, it was received. It has a negative reaction critically, and uh, I think that's because a of its comparisons to, which it's very difficult not to compare to, uh, Texas Chainsaw. And in fairness, if it compares poorly to Funhouse, which is probably the best post Texas Chainsaw Massacre film in this kind of period of time for Hope before you know Poltergeist, then obviously before you know he kind of has periods, doesn't he? Where you know he makes batches of films and you know that this period when you know he goes from this and he makes he make, you know Funhouse is a similar film has a similar look, a similar cinematography, but um, it, you know it, it doesn't um, look as bad. You know it's not it's not as good as as that film, but also I think it's fair to say that it looks really stagey and now a lot of people you, you cover a lot of this these sins up with saying oh it has a nightmare quality oh it's like you know it's like a daydream and indeed it's it's logic and it's plot are unusual and quite nightmarish but um and like the lighting of, of you know big neon reds flashing through windows and stuff is there to create a kind of frightening dreamlike quality to proceedings but the reality is that doesn't do a very good job at that. And, um, you know, you see walls wobble. I mean, there's no way around it. It doesn't just feel like a set. It feels like a stage set, a cheaply made stage set. And uh, that's a huge problem for the film. I think it's it's definitely fair to say. Um, So, Robert England as well as this uh, rather irritating uh, man called Buck. And uh, his, uh, obviously... You know, creating this kind of grim tone, trying to have anal sex with prostitutes to start the movie, uh, and declaring the uh, uh, that his name is Buck and he's ready to fuck. Uh, a phrase used again in Kill Bill. Name's Buck. I'm raring to fuck. Let's just get it over with. My name is Buck. And I'm here to fuck. So the movie has, uh, as I said, an, an unusual mood to it. A funhouse ride, a bit of a roller coaster. I personally think it's my biggest problem with the fact is it isn't very frightening, and it isn't very violent, really. It's quite gory, but not that gory. Uh, so it kind of um, falls between different houses, and it, it isn't tense enough to be frightening. 
Uh, there's an element that you feel like all bets are off, which is good. That's kind of running by its own rules, so you know you feel like they can kill the kid, which is always a, an, an important element of any horror film. If you if you can kind of convey that feeling to the audience, you can kind of get a, a certain sense of unease from what's going on. But I'd say not as much as possibly you would want it to be. So the 1978 cinema release was cut, and this first uh, pre-cut. Uh, video rental release was was in uh, 1980 on the VCL label and was this cinema cut then Vipco went and released an uncut version in 82 and that was the one that got banned as a nasty in July 83 it, making it one of the first ones in the, on the list um, but it got um, several times was try, attempted to be prosecuted and failed every time probably because it's just not that violent but um, it was just, so it was dropped on the list by December 1985, so late to be dropped. The first BBFC certified video then fell foul of this kind of post-video nasty scare that, you know, even though it, that it had to be cut because it had been on the list, so 25 seconds, an arbitrary amount, was 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 lobbed off. Um, by 2000, it you know it it was it was passed on court and remains so t- obviously to this day. Uh, you can get it on various DVDs. It's um, it's worth a look. I think that's fair to say if you've not seen it. Uh, I think a lot of people probably have vague memories of watching it, but you know, there are a lot of not great Toby Hooper films. Um, this is one of the ones that at least is you know generally watchable, <laughs> if nothing else. And you know, who wouldn't want to see a film after all with a fifteen foot crocodile? Okay, but that never happened. What? What? Oh, sir, sir, got no calls. Look, look, see it, 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 it's all according to the instincts. There was no harm done. No. Oh, oh no, 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 sir, no, sir, no, sir. There ain't no call. Now here now, no. See that ain't no commentator. No, sir, that that crocky, he come all the way from Africa. He don't come from around here. Don't come from around here at all. Frank Bush. Frank Buck, yeah, you know about him? Bring him back alive, Frank Buck, they call him. Oh, oh, well, come from up at Gainesville. They got him a, a statue looks just like him. Every kind of, every kind of animal in that zoo. Well, well, he's the one. I got him from him. You know, he told me, he says, he says, you know, them things ain't nobody knows how old. They don't never die. Oh, oh, sir, 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 that thing is dangerous. Now, it attacked my child. I'm going to see to it that I destroy it. And I would advise you not to interfere. Oh, you hate. And um, just a little bit of feedback to give back to you. Um, sorry for being um, slow on this one, really. I think it's, fair. I think it's been uh, two weeks, maybe three, since I last put a podcast out. Uh, simple reason for that is that I've been on holiday. So uh, I've been away from my desk in the office and also in my work, in my you know my podcasting suite which doesn't look like much of a podcasting suite um so uh thanks very much uh for everyone who's got in contact to see how it's getting on uh yeah sorry about that um anyway um we've got some great feedback uh to go through um chris ward emails in he says hi chris as promised here i am dropping you an email i'm a writer for screen magazine and i'm the movies editor for onemetal.com 
a website dedicated to arts and media of an alternative leaning and a lifelong horror fan, who, whilst being a little too young to appreciate the Video Nasties area in the full, does, does remember some of the news articles in the time, and specifically the news I claim that the Evil Dead is back when it was cleared for release. I also spent a lot of time and money collecting the videos on the list when I had a VHS player, but got rid when I went over to DVD. I do a lot of the films on the list and I've probably seen about 75% of the list overall. I recently discovered your podcast. I spent a lot of time catching up with all the episodes. I'm really looking forward to your Zombie Flesh Eaters and Island of Death episodes. For a bit of further reading, if you can find it, it's a bit pricey to get hold of. The original video nasties from Absurd to Zombie Flesh Eaters by Alan Price of Dark Side Magazine. Each film is given a full page display of its artwork and a short review and makes a handy reference card. Anyway, just letting them know you have a new listener, one that's already always interested in the whole video nasty thing and ready for a good discussion about the topic. Regards. Well, cheers for that, Chris. Thanks very much. Uh, that book is a fantastic coffee table book as well. There's a number of um, really good stuff that you can look at, I always think. Uh, I suppose because you know they really, they, the nasties really captured everyone's imaginations. I mean, it must be oh, it must be true, but you know here we are, thirty years on, still discussing these films in this context anyway. Um, well, thanks a lot for your email as well. That's fantastic. A um, couple more bits and bobs. One from Rob Wilson. Chris, challenge you to get twenty minutes out of Love Camp Seven, and you got thirty. Well played. As for Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive and Mixed, saw it years ago, maybe mid-80s. Didn't think much of it. Watched portions of it again on YouTube and it didn't make me want to go back. I may be wrong, I'm open to hear what you have to say. Aside from looking a bit of too dark, at least on YouTube, thought it was a pretty cool look. Thanks, Chris. Uh, cheers for that, Rob. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you're not alone on that, to be honest with you, mate. I think there's a lot of that in terms of people watching it and being a bit like, oh, not, not really sure about this anymore. Um, is it worth a rewatch? Yeah, I mean, if you want to, it's okay. <laughs> it's really, it's really average. I think that's probably fair to say. Really average. Um, also an email from Scott P. Uh, very interesting storm with Chris. He's talking about uh, Love Camp Seven, which was last year, last, well, last, last, last times as it was. This genre filmmaker is a pretty sad one. The films are essentially misogynist BDSM fantasies with some kind of bullshit validation. Like it's a cautionary tale, revenge fable, or in this case, hilariously, historical account. From the Tavondrit of exploitation, guys behind the scenes, you created a vivid picture of three points of view converging into one sad fantasy of a film. Thank you for adding such dimension as something that's been overlooked. You impress me once again, take care. Oh, cheers for that, Scott, that's really kind. Um, I wish I could do more stuff like that, really. Um, this film, Toby Hooper's. Um, was uh, a bit difficult really because it's kind of not the most exciting thing he's ever done so um there's there's not there's not as much to talk discuss oh yes also hello thanks very much to wolf who again has been emailing me and it, and it and drew attention to something um which may be of interest to our to 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 my listeners here um after the Farber, which is a german film company uh, is preparing another hp lovecraft adaptation the dreamlands and he sent a link to the um, to the trailer, which I will link to on my site as well, so you can have a, a quick look at it. Um, Wolf uh, approached me because of my night gallery stuff, and um, and there's a few there's a few Lovecraft Lovecraft adaptations in there, so he kind of wanted to um, <clears throat> talk to me about that kind of stuff, and also the wider st- stuff with. Um, 
with that film and with that show and obviously the episodes that are worth doing because you kind of got to work if, you, if you're not willing to commit to the entire thing you've got to work your way around because there's a fair few duds in there so I was speaking to him about that but thanks a lot for that that link and I, I thought it was important to, to mention it to my to my listeners to see if there's anybody out there I mean obviously there is a lot of crossover between um, what I do now and, and, and the old stuff and obviously you know if you're a horror fan you might you, you, you probably do love Lovecraft to be fair although it's a, very, a different style of the, than the stuff that we've got what we're talking about here brilliant okay um, if you want to get in contact with me please do my email address is videonastiespodcast at gmail.com you can get hold of me on twitter which is at orange underscore monkey uh, which would be great as well or you can go to my website which is videonastiespodcast.com and leave a comment on any of the articles that I put up there uh, I get them quite easily so next week um, it's nearly Christmas how exciting to celebrate why not celebrate in a very Christmassy style <laughs> it's the only thing I could think of that is um, this, that has some kind of Christmassy link and, uh, and it's daft to even suggest it um, and that is um, Terrorize which is better known in the US as Night School uh, if you're looking for it it's, a 90, it's the 1981 American slasher now why you might ask is this a Christmas film because it isn't why, why you just wish they put Silent Night Deadly Night in there or something like that you know what I mean or Christmas Evil or something but no none of them went on the list because Ken Hughes directed it, and Ken Hughes, hilariously, of course, he directed uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is, uh, you know, a Christmas TV favourite these days, although not really a Christmas film. So, at the very least, I can speak about that uh, as well, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll do some, some crude puns as well. Um, so, until next week, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. seen a video nasty i wouldn't i have far too much how, how can you judge on a video nasty? oh you've never seen one i actually don't need to see visually what i know is in that film Name's Buck. I'm raring to fuck.